there were two brothers that lived between Liscanor and Innistimon, Kaluhuri brothers. I remember somebody asking Paddy, Paddy, did you ever travel? Paddy said, sure. He said, didn't we travel the world above around our own place? And there is a world around your own place. Arriving in Clare can be like a homecoming. For thousands of people, this stretch of coastline is their first glimpse of Ireland as they arrive from across the Atlantic. Some of them returning home, some coming here for the first time. Often a long, long way to here. Land into Clare and something lifts in you. Spirit, heart, you're in. And it's like a rhythm takes over and you just have to go with it. Is it the people or the music, the shape of the land and sea, the lilt of everything? It's all that and more. I remember looking down at the cliffs of Moher coming in at six o'clock in the morning on an Aer Lingus flight and I was looking out the window and it was just... I thought the bird's eye view was, was, was incredible because you could see right up into Connemara. Especially when you have been working and living abroad, there's a feeling out of that that's um, home, I suppose, a sense of what home is. You're listening to The County Measure. I'm Vincent Woods. We're making a journey around Ireland 100 years after independence to get a measure, to get many measures of all 32 counties. We're looking at place, landscape and the people who shape their lives within these boundaries of community and county. In this series, I'm hoping to get a fresh understanding of each county and its people as we shape a radio atlas of Ireland. This is a tune that I composed for my mother, Biddy, called um, The Year of the Blizzard. And she was born in 1933. She was born in the middle of a blizzard, and we don't get blizzards much. Clare must be one of the most musical of counties, with traditional music handed down through generations. At his home in Crusheen, near Spansel Hill, I meet musician and composer Christy McNamara and his sister Mary Marlborough, who remember where their music came from, beginning with their father's accordion. You felt as if you couldn't touch this accordion. This was not to be touched by anybody, but I took it out one night and I went down to the room and I started off and I I just loved it. I used to go down and I'd think of a tune and play it and I'd go nice and slow and solid, but I loved it. Music runs through the veins of this county. Music and song and the stories that lift place to another level. The west coast of Clare, Listoon Varna, Spansel Hill, Dunneen and its cliffs, Pipers, Willie Clancy and Garrett Barry, the Kilfenora and Tulla Cayley bands. So much music that conjures stories and moments in life, images of people and place. As a professional photographer, Christy McNamara strives to capture some of those images. And one of the black and white photos we look at is a striking image of their aunts, Bridie and Kathleen, dancing in a country kitchen in Ballyogan in the mid-1990s. They're dancing on worn lino by a range, two old women, sisters, alive in time, alive to an old tune. And the photo connects from that small kitchen to a much wider world. They were warm and welcoming, but they had a life story, you know. Yeah, it's actually Bridie, the woman with her back to us. Bridie was in France. 
she joined the nuns with her other sister. She worked as a gardener in the convent and it was during the German occupation of France. They were rounding people up. They couldn't believe that that somebody from Ireland would speak fluent French, but they couldn't take her away. The sadness of it is, and I think of that, was that where they went next, they found somebody that they did take away. You would never think to look at that photograph that there's a connection back into the Nazi occupation of France. And I suppose, again, for me, it's a lesson in how things are unexpected. I had that at a show in New York. Somebody bought it and said, it's lovely to see two women dancing with each other and uh, two gay women. <laughs> and I, I, had to, I had to say, well, they're actually sisters, but they love each other. And uh, she bought it for her partner because she saw them in it. Clare, of course, a great hurling county, and I know you make the occasional uh, 4-H Crow Park yourself right. as a fan. The referee's decision here will be keenly awaited. He's going to... Uh, it's all over! Clare are the All-Ireland champions once again! The 1997 All-Ireland, we all went to Crow Park, the whole family. Champions in 95! Champions in 97! They've beaten Tipperary twice in the same championship season. My sister Barbara is married to a Tipperary man. <laughs> so the two of them were at the match. He had his Tipperary jersey and flag and she had her Clare jersey and flag. And they walked in hand in hand and we wondered if they'd still be hand in hand on the way out. So one of them was going to be disappointed for sure. But um, we still had a great day. <laughs> I often think of the writer Tim Robinson walking the burren to map it in word and image and of his concept of the ABC of Earth Wonders, Aaron, the burren and Connemara. We'll walk a bit on this path but just a little bit up the hill so we're, there's no other noise or we can find... Taking her ease in the B of the Earth Wonders is my guide to this section of the burren. Conservationist Pranjali Bave works with Burren Bureau Trust. On a beautiful summer day, she takes time to walk with me on Abbey Hill in a landscape she has come to love. It's a beautiful view, isn't it? I just absolutely love it. I can also see my house from here, so there's another reason why I love it. When did you first come here? Uh, I came here about 12 years ago now. Is this landscape completely different to the landscapes you grew up with? Oh God, couldn't be further from it, yeah. I grew up in a city in Bombay, so you know, quaint little place called Bombay. <laughs> About 20 million people, six, seven months of dry climate, waiting for the monsoons in June and July, and then three or four months of constant rains, and then looking forward to the rains, and all that kind of changed when I came to Ireland. Yeah, where it's just pretty constant rain. Pretty constant rain, yeah. <laughs> but not in that extreme way. Yeah, we have rain parties at home. We go for rain treks because everything turns green in the rain. So the rain is good. <laughs> rain is always good. Look at this now. Look, I mean, you would not see a meadow like this, a variety of flowers here. Now, none of these flowers are particularly rare, but it's the frequency with which they occur in the burren. That's what makes this place special. This is called the quaking grass, or fiar gurta in Irish. It's got beautiful, kind of delicate flowers. It's strongly associated with the famine, where people died of hunger. This grass was supposed to grow, and they said that you have to be careful not, not to step over it, or you will get the hunger. And one way to avoid getting the hunger is to carry a hazelnut in your pocket. So, <laughs> there you go. My father used to carry a piece of bread in his pocket all the time when he went out on the farm. The same idea that in case you walked on the fair Gartha. What does the burn mean to you now? God, I feel like I've found a home in the burn. 
I do not say that lightly or even take that lightly because, you know, I'm an immigrant to this country and I think it's given me a place to belong. And I'm sure that's a privilege for any immigrant. It's not something that comes by easily. We are always, as, as humans, we look for our roots. And of course, I don't have roots here. I don't have, I'm not the seventh generation farmer. I don't have grandparents to tell me the stories of the place. But I feel like I have not just set roots here, but by connecting to the landscape and being a part of its story, I've somehow found a way to belong here, if you know what I mean. Well, you're making roots through your work as well. I mean, you, you're, I think you're, you're really becoming part of a, of a community of people who are caring for a very special and, and essentially sacred landscape. Yeah. I mean, I have been lucky that, that I have found this community. Of course, you know, I have had no part in creating it, of course, but at least I can say that, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, on, this, I'm on this beautiful hill now. And actually, I know the farmer who farms here and I know the efforts he puts in order to maintain... In, this kind of a semi-natural grassland. I'm just looking down over the bay and at the sky and thinking that must change all the time. That's, that just change all the time. And I think that was one of the things I noticed in Ireland, the amount of sky you get to see. It's everywhere. <laughs> you're really open to the sky in a way that you aren't if you're coming from a more built environment or even more uh, wooded environment there's something about being open and that probably opens up people's minds I like to think that that plays a part in open-minded people around me You're listening to The County Measure with Vincent Woods We're in Clare this week and we're staying on the Burren and in Carron where Paula McHale explains the work of the Burren Programme, a conservation group which encourages local farmers to adapt their practice to the very delicate local ecosystem. So there's two real elements of the programme. There's the the scoring of the fields, so there's 1,800 fields involved in the programme. And the team and the advisors go out and score the fields and make sure that it's environmentally healthy, species rich. Each field is given a score of 1 to 10. So the fields get a payment from any field that's scored from 6 up to 10. And fields that score a 9 or a 10 get a bonus payment. The species richness, so the biodiversity, make sure there's no weeds. Main objectives of the programme is to ensure that the water quality of the burn is kept to the high standard that is there. So that's the, the, the very basic of it. So we just go over here, we have a little style over here, we can walk out and then we're into our little... Um... Have you heard the term mutters? No. Michael Hines is a former... Gaelic footballer for County Clare. He's also a farmer who works closely with the Burren yeah, project. They're coming, no problem. Very obedient cows. When I join him, he's moving cattle from one field or moher to another. He tells me about this particular act of conservation, midsummer grazing. Moher, they're like small fields. You can see the cows here now. So we have four mohers here. This is where I want to show you where we do our summer grazing. Midsummer grazing, they call it. Part of the Born Life project is that they like us to come in here with our cows and just hit this maybe from the middle of July for a couple of weeks, graze it right down. Now I'm actually, the first two of these mothers we're going into, they've been here for the last 11 days. We're going to move them into the second two mothers today so you'll be, you'll be able to see this so movement. The cattle have been here for 11 days. And yeah, they've been yeah. just in these two mothers for 11 days. Just to graze it down, That will, it, you'll see the second two mothers now, it's quite, quite thick with grass, loads of colour, loads of flower. Um, and that's what they want to see. They want to give that the opportunity to grow the flowers again from, for the ecosystems. And then we'll hit it now, graze it down, and you'll have a nice, low, lush green grass coming again for um, December onwards, as we call it. It becomes the maternity ward then in December. That's where our cows and calves come over after calfing. So I'm going to try and call them. You'll hear, my, you'll hear our call now. You probably haven't heard it before, but it's... Sook, 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 they kind of answer me there now, you see. So they're anxious for clean ground, so. Oh, they're coming, yeah. But generally you'd find uh, 
when when they're in a place for a while and it's it's probably you know yourself it's probably from lying it and doing everything it's probably just not as sweet anymore they want to move to someplace fresh so that's what you're going to see happening here so 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 this is the second mower here now again you can see it's fairly well grazed so they all came in, did they? I think so. So they have a whole fresh area for grazing here. Yeah. So as you can see, the I suppose the last two mowers we came out of were probably like this, eleven or twelve days ago. You can see plenty high thick grass, loads of colour. If you stand back and just see all the flowers. Oh, sure, they're in heaven. Yeah, they're in heaven. But <laughs> they're literally in clover homes. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And you, like this, I suppose, is the kind of the ecosystem they're talking about, just to have the, the balance, I suppose. They have nothing to do, only to eat and relax. And they have a great life. <laughs> and wait for wait yeah. to be moved in winter. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. We could all do with a life like that. <laughs> My name is Deirdre Cronin. I'm a writer and music journalist. Open Door Fenor is a story that recalls my cousin, the musician Mick Maloney's kindness. Mick entrusted his home to a Dublin rehab so that the young clients could experience Ireland's West Coast. North Clare is in early recovery after the savage storms. Now, 21 Dublin teenagers, newly sober, come clattering off the coach into the claws of the wild Atlantic Way. Most of them have never been west of the Shannon. The lads are refreshingly open on how some of them are no strangers to Mount Joy. All of them duly impressed that Mick's Fenor House is a 1932 Garda Barracks, handily restored to a hostel. The memory arc of those days is lit with rich, wild images. Colin leaping in to swim Kilkee's pollacoles, night trainers and all on him. Girls who emerge from the bus, blink into the light, blank the beckoning ocean, huddling instead to deal with their cigarettes in the breeze. The air lit blue now with hoots and coils of sea-coloured smoke. Leah and Lacey declare themselves freezing, clutching each other to stay upright in very complicated platform shoes but then loosening up just enough to compare the honey-coloured sand with the perfect fake baked tan from Penny's. Later, as they listen to stories from Milltown Malbay's Bridget Harren, the shoe towers lie abandoned so the girls can sit and wiggle their toes in spongy wildflower grass at the cliff point called the Mother's Praying Space. The girls hadn't known that emigration once meant never coming home again. Archaeologist Michael Gibbons breaks open the forts and stone circles with stories. Cattle raids, killings, hunger, poverty, yet music and dance there too in all of it. Like warm sun on Burren Stone, connection deepens into group chats later about ghosts, genetic memory and how painful pasts can cast echoes into our lives. Most of these young folk emerge from rehab with orchid blue hope, but fragile seeds can get lost in limestone grikes. I turn from addiction's savagery, focus on Jamie, so taken with the banjo's thunk, with Mick Maloney's music reputation, but maybe most of all how Limerick-born Mick was 16 before he learned to play. The art of the possible. Young Luke still visits musician Eugene Lamb's Kinvara workshop. They chat about building boats, pipes, real dreams. I meet Karen for coffee, her bright Dublin life wrapped in her yoga mat and the parchment roll of her psychology degree. 
Mick Maloney died all too suddenly in late July. Our hearts are sore. As he rambled the world in his life of music, Mick carried the essence of Clare like a green road across the sky. He relished updates about how those kids were getting on. From a door in Fenor, may the song of Mick's generous heart remain forever flung open. driving down towards Doolan and the countryside bright with Montbrecia and Fuchsia and blue sky, blue sea and we're coming to Doolan to, to hear how the nature of summer employment here is changing Any passengers hope we can start to clip some more crews please transfer to the ferry beside us all passengers for Doolan please remain on board Seaside towns traditionally attract people seeking a transient way of life. Buskers, surfers, summer staff in bars, hotels and restaurants. They're facing the enormous pressure of finding places to live in the coastal towns and villages like Doolan. I go to the Hotel Doolan, a 17-bedroom hotel in the centre of the village. It has a restaurant, bar and an event space. Here I meet Grace Wells, an eco-poet based in Ennis Diamond, and Ollie O'Flaherty from Le Hinch, a professional big-wave surfer and environmentalist. Donald Minahan runs Hotel Doolan, and he begins by describing summer in the village. Yeah, Doolan, uh, Doolan's happened. Uh, it's happened all year round, actually. It's got a very long season because of the music, number one, and also because of the, the outdoor pursuits that are... All year round. The burn here behind us, the Iron Islands in front of us, of course the Atlantic Ocean. Donald, is, is Doolan changing a bit? Are the summers here changing? Yeah, well, one, of the, one of the biggest challenges we've, we've had this, this year is accommodation locally. The lack of it really. For two types of people I suppose, you've, the, like the lifeblood of Doolan has always been the people coming through it and coming here and staying, like, like the artists, musicians. Unfortunately lately, and there's nowhere for these people to stay. And it's all Airbnb, like every hen house and garden shed and like greenhouse or anything that can be used for accommodation for tourists has been used, you know. So the current of people coming through the place is what gives the place its life, you know. So once that becomes stagnant, it becomes a little bit like Westworld, you know. Like, uh, so really, I think something needs to be done to address that. And the second thing, of course, is we've always relied on students and people who come down to Doolin for, for the summer to work and have some fun and, and play music and, you know, uh, as well, it gives the place a bit of life. Uh, and we just can't get those people this year because there's, well, we can get them, but there's nowhere for them to live. So, yeah, it's a, it's a big problem at the moment, I think. Only that, that, that is a problem, I suppose, with something like that happening. There's a danger of, of the whole nature of a place changing significantly. Yeah, it's just a bit of a weird one, you know, and it's come down to people now, like, literally, like, finding caravans and, you know, kitting out the back of their car. Like, I have a few friends that are um, working locally in the bars in Doolan and teaching surf lessons, and they're, and they're living out of their vans, you know, and they're not very well made up in the back, I can tell you that much. So, you know, it's tricky. Yeah, uh, needs must, I suppose. Grace, I know you're not as long as the others living in, in this area, but I, I also know that you've, you've come to love it. Um, what is it about this place, about these landscapes that holds you here? What I particularly love, I think Ennis Diamond has a lot of very vibrant, exciting young people living in the area. About 15, 20 years ago, they began a Steiner school, um, and that really has gone from like five or six kids to 150 kids, which has brought in a vast amount of alternative people, idealistic people, and I'm, I'm an idealist, you know. I think I'm always fighting for a better world. And that's what's so special about this area, is it's full of idealists. So even though Claire has a lot of environmental problems, we've got some fantastic environmentalists living here. Um, even though it may be difficult for artists to make a living, we've got fantastic people like Donald supporting the arts. So 
for all these big problems that we face, I think there's just amazing dynamic people. And I do think that that comes a lot out of place. You know, Ollie and all the other surfers around here who are such fierce environmentalists, they're supported by the place. The place is what keeps them here. The surf is what keeps them here. It's a real privilege to be able to be part of that. For you, what do you think is the best way to, to make the best future? For me, the, the future is, uh, is community, is small communities, and it's kind of always been the way, really, small, self-sufficient communities. So, for example, if, within the hotel, if we're buying food or buying produce or buying and it's, we're buying it from local farmers or we're buying it from something that's grown in the area, if we're supporting, if we're playing music in the hotel that is from local artists, there's a local ecosystem, and getting back to that, that's what we used to do. So it's going backwards to go forwards, you know. I do a lot of voluntary work and some paid work for Home Tree Charity, which uh, plants native Irish forests. And if everyone on the planet planted a tree every year for the next six years, we would combat climate change. Ali, coming back to, to the idea of, of the people you know who often have no alternative but to, to you know, to sleep and, and live for the summer in, in their adapted vans. All those friends of mine living in vans, but there's also a lot of people who are turfed out for three months. So they spend nine months in their house and for the season, their landlords kick them out for three months. I know a couple that have moved back to the Midlands for three months and they're moving back into their house again in September. For seasonal seaside areas all over the country, it's a massive issue. And if you drove around, you wouldn't even realise these are issues. That's obviously a great thing for the for the tourist that arrives, you know, they probably arrive in Doolin and see 10 lads hanging out of their van. They go, geez, they have a great life. <laughs> but in actual fact, they're probably after working till three in the morning in a shift in a bar in Doolin and they're on the way to do a surf lesson and they've had a terrible night's sleep because some fellow was banging on the side of the van at four in the morning. I'm Henry Morgan. I'm an artist from Newport County, Tipperary. Uh, I've made the journey here to Doolin today, taking photographs, go back to the studio, maybe make paintings, you know. So I've been doing it for years. It's very magical here when the sun is going down and you're, you're looking through the waves. You have different layers and different perspectives. It's, you know, it's more dimensional. I'm particularly interested in the waves, the power of the sea. It goes back to the Japanese artist Hawksai, who made his pronounced designed wave, you know. And uh, at the same time, there's a poetry in that wave, there's emotion, there's an energy, there's a whole life experience in that wave, you know. I find every wave is so different. I've been trying to paint the perfect wave for the last few years. Every time I think I have it, I find I haven't it, you know. So I'm still searching. Coming up, at home with Martin Hayes, making art from Shannon Mudd and the Little Museum of Aviation. One pleasant evening in the month of June, as I was sitting with my lesson spoon, a small bird sat on an ivy bush, and the song he sang was the jug of punch. Back to Clare music again. You can't get away from it, and in truth, you wouldn't want to. A small bird sat on an ivy bush, and the song he sang was the jug of punch. I love that song myself, and I've loved it with years since I was younger. In his home in Kilfenora, I meet Porik Howley. He tells me about his recent switch to veganism and his overnight success on Instagram. But first, he brings me back to a very different time. When I grew up, we used to have um, house dances and all the locality would come and learn how to dance here. Sunday night was the only night we didn't have uh, set dancing. They used to do the Kilfenora plain set, they used to do the Caledonian set and my father couldn't afford instruments. He just lilted and that's how I learned how to lilt. I was actually rare with it. 
you know, that's how it was. The kitchen, as we call it, was very crowded. There's where the saying came from now. Round the house and mind the dresser. And we had an old dresser, like, I mean, there was no things in it. They do their own steps as well, like, you know, which was tripling. You know what I mean? And everybody just learning how to dance like that. That does their own triple. You know what I mean? And it's just the beat. They do that with their feet. And was there was there something poric about priests not always being happy with the house dances? Of course, yeah. Priests didn't like it because they thought, like you mean, it was more than dancing. That was boy meet girl, girl meet boy. Now every night, as I grew up, there was a lookout, and we had a settle bed. My father would stand up in the settle bed and he'd lilt, and then the other person would stand up and they'd the lookout. It was dangerous when, they got, when it was brighter, but as it got darker, the priest would have to have his little torch so they'd know he was coming. And then when he would arrive, people would go down and they'd all start saying the rosary and they'd be, you know, it'd be all business, like, you know. That's great, the, the, the dance, the house dance transformed into the rosary. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For the priest's benefit. Yeah, right. He, he couldn't say anything then, he'd have to leave. In the, in the last couple of years, uh, you, another bit of a switch in your life, you, you, you became a vegan. How it started was, I was suffering with chronic pain in the left side of my body. One evening, I came over from the workshop, I was just across the road there now, and I, said, I was crippled. And Jolly said, why don't you ring Eileen Clare? She's a holistic woman in Kilrush. So eventually, anyhow, I rang Eileen Clare, and Eileen said, I can't take you, but send over a hair sample to me. So the following evening, she rang me, and she says, your nervous system lifts out of your body, is not working and she said, give up dairy for three weeks. That'd be a very traditional eater. You know, I love the bacon and cabbage and sure, plenty tea butter and everything that goes with it, you know what I mean? And then Tara, out of the blue, said, would you go vegan, Dad? I didn't know what vegan meant. And I said, what's vegan? And then she started telling me, oh, yeah, you can have this and you can have that, but she didn't tell me what I couldn't have. So I said, okay, I'll go vegan. You know what I mean? I'll go vegan for three weeks. When I started cooking first, there was stuff out there I never thought existed. Coriander. I mean, I never knew what coriander. I was inside in the supermarket going around looking for this stuff. Like, and I didn't, I didn't know what it was like, you know what I mean? And then Tara said, I'll open an Instagram page for you. And I didn't know what that was either. Never heard of Instagram. So the following morning, she came over to my workshop and said, Dad said, you have 100 followers. I said, isn't that great? The following morning, I had 5,000. And the following day, I had 20,000. And then it was 25,000. Then it was 30,000. And I didn't, I wouldn't be used to that at all, like, you know. And then Tara said, don't, we'll do, we'll do little videos. You know, one video, like, I mean, I have cattle, even though I was vegan, so I was all feeding the cattle, I was singing, I was singing a song going over, and, you know, the cow kicked nearly in the belly in the barn. And then Tara said, John, we must do some modelling. So she used to pick out modelling, you know, women being models, and then she'd dress me up as well, like, I mean, and she'd compare them. Uh, when they'd be doing a model post, like, I mean, one of them, for instance, like, I mean, she was above in a cooker, okay, and dressed in very clad clothes above in the cooker and bent over and turned sideways. And then we, we, we did it here in my cooker. They put me up on top of the cooker. And I'll never forget it, the, the day they did it, like, you know, because I was crippled above it, like, you know, and they had this little clad little dress in me and all yoke stuck onto it. And, but it was hilarious, and people loved it. They loved uh, it. Of course, it's great fun. Yeah, it's great, great fun. fun. Yeah. But, I mean, on a more serious note, did you, have you felt the health benefits of going vegan? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I walked 10 kilometres this morning, no pain, no ache. Pieta House asked me to be an ambassador for them. Suicide awareness, you know, you could run or walk. I walked five kilometres and I ran, I ran five kilometres, but we collected a lot of money for them. That's what I could do that I couldn't do a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. I remember last Christmas, 12 months, there's a hill just up here, like him and I said to Geraldine before the dinner, I'm going to walk that hill as if the last thing I do. Halfway up, I had to turn back with pain. You know what I mean? And here I am now. I won't say I have a hundred percent pain free, but I'm ninety five percent pain free. County Clare has long been associated with Eamon de Valera, who won the East Clare by election for Sinn Fein in nineteen seventeen. As president, he'd visit the county regularly, often in an eye catching car which is now on display in Ennis County Museum, 
and it's shown to me by curator John Rattigan. ZH1333. Black Dodge. Black Dodge. <laughs> oh, John, it's great. Tell us about the car. It originally belonged to Sean T. O'Kelly. It dates to 1947. When Eamon de Valera became president of Ireland, he bought it off him. And the original colour of the car was maroon, and he had it sprayed black. Probably very wise. <laughs> Probably very wise. <laughs> So this car became quite familiar on the, the roads of Clare as Eamon de Valera would come down to visit. He was very popular here in Clare because, you know, he began his political career here in 1917 and he represented Clare for the next half century or thereabouts. So uh, he used to be seen be, around the... He'd be the, seen the, around the place. And seen on the roads around Ballyvaughan. Around Ballyvaughan, uh, he would go up to visit PJ O'Loughlin. They would talk about politics and, and they did it all in Irish as well. It must have cut hell of a dash. It was 25 horsepower, apparently, and it's about about three tonnes, I think. Uh, It's huge. You could fit about eight people in it. And um, could have a party in it. You could have a party (laughs) in it, yeah. Political party. You could could be taken to a Debs (laughs) and that thing. It's so big. Uh, You you can try and imagine the Longfellow sitting in that front seat now. And it's a projection of power, isn't it? It's a projection of power. It does. It's yeah. I mean, cars would have been a rarity on the roads of Ireland. In 1959, when he became president and he got that car around that time, and a few cars would have been as big as that one. Yeah, so at the front we have the, the presidential flag there on the left, deep blue with a gold harp on it, and the tricolour as well. And uh, so it's the presidential flag, and we know it's the Irish president because of the two flags. A little simple statement in case you weren't sure. You know. <laughs> Was that him and De Valera I saw in that car? Um, De Valera was a very striking figure anyway, so you can imagine him sitting in there. Yeah, you can, yeah. 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 He he would have had kind of an an imperious image. Yeah, Yeah, you know, he Um, he suited the car, it suited suited him. The car suited him. (laughs) (laughs) On a quiet street in Ennis, Orla Vaughan runs a reflexology business, essentially Orla. A native of Tulla in East Clare, she recently returned to the county after many years away from home. Okay, so this is essentially Orla. This is my little haven in town. So I offer reflexology to adults and children and I also do mum and baby classes where I teach mum how to do reflexology on her baby. I also do an awful lot of work with pregnant women both on their feet and I do a very specialist massage. There is something incredibly comforting and soothing about having your foot held and you, you can't help but just think to yourself, oh God, that's lovely. And the feet don't lie. They can tell an awful lot about what goes, what's going on with a person in terms of simple things like how well they're sleeping, how much water they're taking in, how worried they are. You know, we have an awful lot of saying like, um, oh, she has the weight of the world in her shoulders. And that, you can tell that from somebody's feet. Their shoulder reflex can be as hard as a rock or really painful to touch or covered in a callus. So I'm originally from Tulla and moved away, we'll say, after my leaving search, and finally moved home again in May 2019. I was in my early 40s. It's lovely being close to family. And secondly, I'm loving being part of a small community here in Ennis. Now, it, it's, it's small in my eyes because I compare it to Dublin and, and the Middle East where I was before that. There is a nice support network. There is a lovely community spirit There are a lot of women, actually, who have their own small businesses here in town. And it's great to get to know them and to use our knowledge of how you get things done and how you get other support from the council, from the enterprise office, because there's so much support to be had. And the only way I have found out about it was from my neighbours and from fellow retailers around town. Ennis is a, is a lovely little town just to hang out in. There's, I, I love then that in, in Ennis you're also 40 minutes max from Killaloo, which is one of my favourite parts of Ireland. Years ago I used to think that maybe I loved the sea more, but actually now, no, I love 
the woods and lakes and rivers and that kind of landscape. I've gotten a little bit weary of the sea. I still love looking at it, but it's wild and it's, um, I don't know, it can eat you up. <laughs> I'll play a tune that uh, I got from my father here in the kitchen. He dug out this one. I don't actually know what it's called. These are, for the most part, local tunes, as much as I can determine. They didn't seem to appear anywhere else. You're listening to The County Measure with Vincent Woods. The shared notes of County Clare scarcely come sweeter and truer than from the fiddle of Martin Hayes, whose musical journey is detailed in his recently published book called Simply Shared Notes. I meet Martin in his family home on Mahara Mountain in the northeast of the county, a special visit to an old Kayleen house. Yeah, it's nice. I, I, I walk around the house with the fiddle here when when, when, when I'm here by myself and just uh, remember, you know, like starting the fiddle here. And of course, this kitchen was filled with music uh, over the years. I used to sit up there in what is the loft, really, right in front of a little bedroom upstairs. And, you know, I used to look out between the banisters here and observe what was taking place here in the kitchen musically. You know, so the world kind of came into the kitchen here. Lots of musicians from, from everywhere, you know. And, uh, like, hippies from America and England and all kinds of different worldly experiences just arrived in this kitchen. So it was an interesting place. In your book, Martin, you, you, you talk about the architecture of music and the, the sweep of particular Clare style. Do you think there's any connection between the architecture of the music and the architecture of here, of East Clare, you know, the those small, neat houses, the fields. I think there's scale to it, you know, that um, is interesting. Like, you don't need an architect to build this house. It's a rectangle. It's simple. It's understandable. But it can be very beautiful, and there can be great harmony in it if... if um, if the windows are the right size, if the doors are placed right, if the the pitch of the roof is right, if it's placed in the landscape correctly. It can be very, very beautiful. It can be as beautiful a construction as the greatest architect in the world can, can hope to achieve sometimes. And similarly, the tunes are simple. You don't need to go to music school to compose these tunes. But... If you look at them the right way and if, you, if you're if you open and receptive and sensitive to them, you can find deep beauty and possibility in them. So, you know, just like this architecture, you know, it's, it can be simple but beautiful. What I felt lucky about as a child here in Clare was just having a bit of access to that sanctum, you know, just hearing them talk about music in a particular way just made me think of music in that way, you know, because there was this kind of a sensitivity and, like, intelligent, nuanced understanding of, you know, what was true expression in music. You had that very special connection with, with your great friend and, and musical collaborator, Dennis Cahill, of course, and you lost him recently and a, a huge loss indeed to... To you and to the world of, of, of music. I mean, but you had you had great times together. Oh, we did, yeah. We played a lot here in this kitchen, actually. Um, and like Dennis became, he was good friends with my father and my mother. And there's a little room in there that like has been called Dennis's room. He used to spend the summers here, basically, for, for the last 20, 25 years. So he kind of blended into our family in a way, and he blended into the music of here as well. In fact, one local paper kind of got it wrong. They said he died peacefully in his home in East Clare. And I thought, well, I know I was in Chicago, but 
certainly East Clare was a home to him also, you know, and he felt quite connected to it. So I, I loved the error. I thought that was an appropriate one. <laughs> You'd live uh, mainly in Spain, Martin, now, uh, with your wife, Lena. Is that is that a good balance? Um, Ireland and Spain, Clare, Madrid? Yeah, they're, they're like different dream realities, you know, that you kind of go in and out of. You know, I, I, I like, like Madrid seems like a faraway place right now when I'm sitting here in Mahara. The main home is in the music for me at this stage, you know. And the the home is an idea, of course, you know, and uh, it's it's kind of a, an emotional connection to place, you know. Um, but I, I because of what I do, I suppose, and because of the very nature of the particular music I play, I like I can never really find myself disconnected from here, you know. I'm, I'm it's always in it. It's in everything I do. And uh, so I'm never going to be able to escape this part of it, you know. Like, I'll, I'll always be of this place, you know. We began our programme with a view of the Shannon from a Nair Lingus jet. Now we're at ground level, sinking into the mud of the Shannon estuary near the towns of Kildysert, Kilrush and Labashiada. The landscape here, distinctive strips of farmland along the river in view of industrial sites back to Shannon and Money Point. West Cork artist William Bock has made an experimental film with the locals in this part of the Shannon estuary. It's called Rise, and William was keen to use the mud on the estuary as a material. He covered local men, women and children in the thick mud of the Shannon as they posed for his camera in the film. The material itself, it's cold, it's wet slippery it smells often but it has a beauty as well it it dries and turns into this sort of beautiful dusty gray and also cracks when it dries so it, it becomes like a new landscape on the body and on the clothes and i i was interested in how this this mud this slub is such a fundamental part of life on the riverbank on the water's edge, and it really is a sort of um, meeting point between land and water. My mother is from the water and my father is from the land, and I think I have this both now in me, but I think I could not live without the water so close by, yeah. Trudy van der Elsen is one of the people in William Bock's film. She's a Dutch artist who has been living on the banks of the Shannon near Kildysert for many years. She lives just metres away from the river. I step onto the banks with her at low tide to hear about her relationship to the area and how it felt to be covered in the river mud. You know, it, was, it felt really good afterwards with the skin and uh, the hair was really... It was, so I think it's full of nitrogen and uh, it would be very good for you, actually, if you use the mud, I would say. It's total... Underestimated, I would say. Seaweed as well. Yeah. What's it like without water when the when it's mud? I like it. A lot of people around here like it when it is looking like a lake. But uh, I I love it when you see the silk and um, when you see the curve from the little creek and uh, you know the seaweed. I like the colours of all that. You know. There is a story that there was a big storm. And uh, there were two ships, and one ship decided to stay there in Labashida because it was so rough. And uh, the other ship went further to Limerick. Yeah, a couple of weeks later, the ship that went to Limerick was completely wrecked. And 
the shape there in Labashida was just perfect because it is sort of like the bed of silk it's called as if it is silky so it's sort of like soft the weather is soft or the bay is soft it's protected I always connected it with uh, the color of the estuary the mud beautiful fabric you know so it's the bed of silk We leave as we arrived at Shannon Airport, gateway from Clare to the world and back. So much opens out and in from here. I've come to Shannon Airport to meet Michael Kelly, who has turned a lifelong passion for model planes into a remarkable mini-museum of aviation, which is tucked away into a space near the departure gates, homage to the golden era of air travel. To get to him, I have to pass airport policeman Brian Maloney and the new Shannon Airport security system. So we have a new 3D machine which has an EDS system which detects explosives. So anything that's in the bag that could be an explosive will alarm. And we have a recheck station that you can actually pinpoint where in the bag that threat is, is seen. There is no restriction on the, on the size of the liquids. There's no 100 mil rule. Laptops, electronics can all stay in the bag and they all go through on one tray and that's it. There's no separation of trays. I presume people are really delighted when they discover they don't have to go through that whole palaver of, of under 100 mils and taking everything out. Well, they're always a bit shocked because you usually get the ring of liquids out, laptops out, separate trays where it's here, it's just leave everything in the bag. They're actually a bit shocked when they come through because it's, it's so alien to them. Mike Kelly, it's like Wonderland here, this aviation museum that, that you've you made. Thank you. How did all this start for you? Oh my God, a long, long time ago, back in the 19, early 60s, I used to come here with my dad. He used to bring me along as a small boy and there'd be DC trees and Connies and Stratocruisers and stuff like that. So all my life I have talked, spoke, looked, listened aviation. And have, you been, have you been collecting model planes all then? All the time, since then. From, from, from yeah, from that. Dad used to buy me Airfix models and, uh, and modelling in general. It yeah. became a massive passion. In the full collection it'd be approximately three and a half thousand. Amazing. Yeah, over a million. Sterling today, you know, wow. over wow. sterling today. Wow. Yeah. So, how many models are here, here in the uh, museum? Between gallery? approximately 1,200 planes and the models in the in the collection here. And now, wow. yeah. When I was a young fella working in my summer job at school, here in Shannon Airport. You had BOAC in their VC-10 training, and you had BE at Trident with the Red Square. They were training. KLM had a DC-862 here, and I said, I'm going to fly. I got to fly in every one of them, and I did, you know? And they were the times. You couldn't, if you were my age then, not be involved in aviation if you could make your way to Shannon Airport. With the heart blown open, we travel from Clare north to County Fermanagh. That's next week's County Measure. Mm -hmm.